Welcome to the Mormon Marriages Podcast. I am Angela Bagley. And I'm Nate Bagley. As Mormons, we believe that the most important thing in life is family. And the backbone of your family is your marriage. So on this podcast, we're going to talk with Mormon couples and relationship experts who provide amazing insights into what it takes to create a marriage that will make you look forward to eternity. We would love it if you subscribe to the show and reach out to us if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas that can help us make it even better. Hey, honey. Hi. So today I wanted to record a little bit of a different episode. Okay. You don't even really know what we're about to do, do you? I don't. I'm just following your lead. Um, so we don't have a guest today. Nope, it's just us. And I, so I had a really interesting experience two weeks ago when we released the Homers episode okay. with Nick and Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And that episode was really important to me. And it was important because, uh, because so it was the episode, if you, if you haven't listened to it yet, we interviewed Nick and Chelsea and Nick uh, has, is going through a faith transition. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he doesn't identify with a lot of the core beliefs of Mormonism anymore. And it was a situation where, um, they were early on in their marriage and a lot of people, when he started talking to Chelsea about his, his evolving and changing beliefs, a lot of people approached Chelsea and said, you know, you should get a divorce or this is grounds to leave your marriage. And she felt pressure to choose between God and her husband Mm -hmm. and, and I think it was really difficult for them. I know it was really difficult for them in talking to them and, uh, after we released the episode, we got a lot of really mixed feedback. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of private messages from people saying, thank you so much. I'm going through something very similar right now. My husband or my wife is struggling with their testimony or doesn't believe anymore or believes differently than they used to. And it's been such a struggle and it feels good to have heard a conversation about another couple who's going through this. It makes me feel less alone. And it gave me some ideas of how we can have a stronger marriage. And that was great. Like I that, think the majority of the yeah, feedback was that a lot of really great mm-hmm. feedback and then we got we got some um some critics mm-hmm. some people who kind of came to us and told us a lot of things varying from they felt like we had lost our way they felt like some of the things that probably more than anybody I more than you shared on the podcast demonstrated like a loss of testimony mm-hmm. or that we didn't believe the church to be true anymore and I realized that there's a lack of context, that there, that there are listeners who are listening to us on this podcast that don't really know my story. Right. And knowing my story, not only I th- it would help them have context for that conversation, but it would help them have context for why we do this podcast, and it would help them have context for you as my wife. Right. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, about something that I haven't really ever talked about before. Uh, in the hopes that it will be met with um, loving ears and maybe create some understanding as to why the Mormon Marriages podcast is so important to me and why that particular episode was so important to me. And um, yeah, that's that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, okay. today. And I'm hoping Great. that you can just kind of like guide me through the conversation and I have some questions for you as well. Okay. Sounds good. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So... I, friends who are close to me know this, um, but not a lot of people know that I, in my mid twenties, left the church. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know this because you're yes, my wife. I do. <laughs> and I, I had moved away to Florida um, in very large part to escape the pressures of living in Utah. 
And a lot of the pressures that I was feeling revolved around being perfect. And a lot of being perfect revolved around um, being married and being worthy and um, so many of those other words that and, and kind of milestones that we have in our culture. Uh, and I just, I just felt a lot of pressure. I was getting really depressed and really stressed out because I, I knew I wasn't perfect. And I don't think I ever felt very worthy mm-hmm. in the way that I, sh- I, that I always heard people talk about worthiness. Um, you know, when I was a... When I, when I was a college student in my early 20s, I, uh, I looked at pornography, uh, mm-hmm. like not tons, but off and on. Right. It typically helped me deal with like stressful situations and when I felt lonely, you know, when all my roommates had girlfriends, uh, there were periods, you know, where I wasn't dating anybody and anyway, it, d- it doesn't matter. But um, like there were, I always tried to go resolve that kind of, there there was always a temptation to hide it Mm -hmm. because I was really scared that if people found out that I had looked at pornography, that they would judge me or look at me differently and that I would lose this kind of image of being a really good guy, right? you know, the kind of guy that's worthy of a temple marriage or worthy of dating or worthy of being, holding a calling. Um, and that I would disappoint my family or my leaders or my siblings or my friends and, like I even remember, I was telling you about this earlier today. I remember, um, like it was recently after I had returned home from my mission, I had looked at pornography. It was like the first or second time I'd looked at it. And I went to my Bishop and confessed. And he told me that the stake president had, um, had asked him to, that if any young man came to him with a confession that he had looked at pornography, that that young man was not to be allowed to take this sacrament for six months. Mm-hmm. And I was just like gut punched because I was, I was embarrassed. Like I I had made a mistake. I went to go repent for it. And now I had to go to church for six months straight and pass that tray. And, uh, I mean, some single awards, they call it the silver bullet because no, <laughs> it just goes <laughs> up and down the pews and nobody takes the sacrament. But like for me, I had never not taken the sacrament before. And it mortified me. And I had had the, the, my roommates are, are the friends that I had had since I was like 14 years old in ninth grade. And I didn't want them to look at me differently. And, and I found myself, um, finding excuses to be late to church every single Sunday. So I would miss the sacrament because I would get so nervous going to sacrament meeting that I would want to throw up mm-hmm. because I was afraid that like a girl that I liked would see me not taking the sacrament and then wouldn't want to date me or that a roommate that I had a really great relationship with wouldn't want to be my friend anymore because he thought I was unworthy, you know, and they're silly fears, but like that was, that was my life. And then as I got into my, my mid twenties, um, like that anxiety and that dread of not feeling worthy just kind of followed me and followed me and followed me. And so when I finally got to Florida, um, I was away from my friends and family. I didn't know anybody around me. And I when I first arrived there, I participated in church very actively. And the longer I was there, the, the less present I was while I was at church. Mm-hmm. And, um, I started, I started to wonder that if I left the church, if the guilt and shame that I felt constantly crushing me that I'd felt since I was a teenager would also leave with it. And, um, and so I left. Yeah. I left at like 27 and I was, I left the church for like a solid four years and, um, it helped and it's weird to admit that, but it helped the shame to go away 
and I felt better about myself and I felt more like myself and I felt like I was making my decisions less because of what other people would think, but more because of it's what I wanted. And, um, I never strayed too far from living gospel values, but if I felt this immense relief from being, uh, free of the social pressure Mm -hmm. and a lot of it, I, in hindsight now it it was self-imposed, right? but I think a lot of it was, was cultural. So what would you say were some of the reactions when you decided to leave? It was really hard for a lot of my friends and family. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the hardest things about leaving is knowing how much pain it was going to cause the people that I loved, knowing that um, they would be fasting and praying for me and that they would be shedding tears behind closed doors for me, knowing that they would uh, have this, the thought of um, losing me for eternity. I was unable to go to both of my brother's weddings. Mm -hmm. That was really, really difficult to stand outside the temple and, just not be able to participate in that important milestone moment in their lives. And, um, I felt very lonely for a lot of the time. Like there was relief from the shame, but I, I didn't feel like I could date a member of the church because she would want to be married in the temple. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like I could really date a non-member because I still had so many Mormon standards, um, that, like I didn't go out and party, you know, mm-hmm. and I, uh, and, and a lot of people who aren't members of the church live that kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I was just stuck in this limbo and, and I had to be confronted with this, the consequence of my choice, which was that it would cause suffering for others. Mm-hmm. So it was hard. It was really, really hard. It was really hard. I remember, I remember moments like seeing my parents cry or get frustrated I remember moments having my brothers, uh, especially, you know, there were moments where they had a really hard time. I think it was really hard on them that I couldn't go to their weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, there were just some really personal moments. And, and I, I felt like nobody really understood that if I could, you know, just after I left, the guilt wasn't the reason that I stayed away. You know, I started to like contemplate look more into church history and and all sorts of things that people use as a reason for why they, they leave. Mm -hmm. And, um, the longer I was out, the more I felt like it was a good decision. Mm -hmm. And anyway, it was, it's just, it was hard. It was hard to, it was hard that nobody understood that I didn't if I could remove all the doubts and frustrations and negative feelings that I had, that I would, but I couldn't mm-hmm. like, I, I, I couldn't just snap my fingers and let make the shame of the past disappear or, uh, make the doubts that I had disappear or the questions that I had disappear. And a lot of the time on the other side of the fence, people who are remain in the church, I think what they think is just like, well, duh, it's obvious. Like the church Mm -hmm. is true. And if you would just believe, if you would just pray more or read more, do the right things, then your, the spirit would testify that it's true and your doubts would go away, but that's just not how it works. You know? So you had this experience of leaving that gave you a sense of relief. Yeah. I didn't think I'd ever come back. Tell me a little bit about your pathway back? Um, 
so when I left, uh, a lot of Mormons, when they leave the church, they consider themselves to be atheists. Mm-hmm. If I, I considered myself to be a hopeful agnostic. Okay. I didn't know whether or not God existed. I kind of hoped that he did, but I kind of um, was feeling immense relief from the pressures of being away from that community and that world. And so I didn't have a whole lot of motivation to figure out whether or not God really existed mm-hmm. for myself. Um. So eventually what happened is I, I I did this the crazy love you mentory journey and started that other podcast that I have and um went on this 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 national tour to discover the secrets for true love and came home and ended up living in my parents' basement because I blew all of my money uh <laughs> trying to to start this project and get it off the ground. And when I was home, I became reacquainted with a girl that I'd been friends with for a very, very long time. And she was one of my best friends and we ended up dating and falling in love. And she was a very active member of the church. And I remember her telling me one day, like, if we're going to do this, um, I'm going to do it in the temple and you need to figure out what it is you believe. Mm -hmm. So you need to do some work. And, um, it just so turned out that when she started putting pressure on me to figure out my faith, that, uh, this, the Bishop in the singles ward that I belonged to, um, had just changed. And, uh, the new Bishop was one of my, uh, one of my best friends from high school Her it was her dad. And he apparently had seen my name on the records of his ward and had, uh, felt strongly that he wanted to call me as the elders quorum president. <laughs> and he talked to Jessica, our good friend, and said, Hey, do you think I could call Nate to be elders corn president? And she just laughed and she's like, Nate doesn't go to church. Like mm-hmm. Nate's not active, but it was right at this time that my, my girlfriend was putting pressure on me to, to figure out my faith and figure out what I believed and whether or not I could be a part of the church. And so he invited me into church and I accepted and we had a interview and um, had several conversations about what it means to believe and what it means to have faith and, and, uh, and whether or not I have to know that things are true to be a member of the church and what it means to be part of this community and what it means to be Mormon and what it means to change the definition of what I thought was Mormon. And maybe I can reinvent my own definition. And little by little, I started to realize that I could be a member of the church if my testimony was based solely on faith mm-hmm. that I don't know if it's true. And I don't know if God exists, but I have faith that he does. And I can be a part of this church, even if I don't conform to normal Mormon social stereotypes. And, um, and if I struggle with things, like if I struggle with opinions of leadership or if I struggle with members in a certain ward, or if I struggle with accepting certain doctrines, I can still be a member of the church. Mm -hmm. And so as I started to wrestle with these things and figure out what it meant for me to be Mormon and not just what it meant to be quote unquote Mormon, um, I started to realize that I had a testimony Mm -hmm. still and that the testimony had evolved into something a little bit more complete and honest and less, uh, less what everybody else thinks a testimony should be and more genuinely like I just accepted where I was at. Mm -hmm. But that journey gave me a lot of compassion for people who struggled with their testimony going through that whole experience of, of leaving the church, doubting, going, experiencing immense shame, uh, being exposed to, um, 
to things about the history of the church and, and, and things that incongruencies that make people really unsettled and frustrated and upset. Like I got exposed to all of that and, and some of it was shocking and some of it was painful and it's given me a new appreciation for people who go through a faith transition. And so listening to the homers talk about their faith transit, Nick's specifically Mm -hmm. faith transition reminded me a lot of myself and I have a lot of empathy for them. And I think they're very courageous for trying to find a way to make their marriage work. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, now, you know, fast forward several years, you and I are married. Um, right. I ended up not marrying that other girl and I'm sure you're grateful for I that. I am grateful for that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just put words in your mouth, but... But, um, it's been a really long journey for me and I haven't lived the, the stereotypical doubt free, easy road that a lot of Mormons, especially in Utah have lived, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and so part of the reason that I wanted to start this podcast with you is because I believe that there are people out there who have marriages and stories that are worth sharing that don't fit into the norm, right? That don't fit into the, Oh, we met at BYU in our freshman year and we fell madly in love. And you know, we, I wrote him while he was on his mission and then we got married three weeks after he got home and we popped out six kids and he did sales and you know, like, which there's nothing wrong with. There is nothing wrong with that. But my story is different. Right. And there are are other stories stories out there that have meaning um, that are different, like the homers. Mm -hmm. And so when their story started getting criticized and we started maybe getting some feedback that our testimonies were wavering, it just made me realize that people don't really fully know where my testimony's at. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was important to be transparent with our listeners uh, so that they know, like who I am and where I'm at. Right. Can I probe a little bit more? Yeah, probe. So can you tell me how this experience, what this experience has taught you about the savior and the atonement? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I believe in very large part that, um, that our purpose on earth is to fail. Mm-hmm. That sounds really weird to say, and that might turn people off a little bit, but hear me out. Okay. Um, I believe that God sent us a savior, not because he knew we would make mistakes like, Oh, I know they're going to screw up, but because he intended for us to make mistakes. I think God knew that if, that if he sent moral mortal, imperfect beings to earth and wanted them to become like him, that the only way for them to do so was to screw up a whole lot and learn from our mistakes. Mm -hmm. And, and it's because he knew that, that making mistakes was essential to our growth and that wrestling with difficult things was essential to our growth and going through hard experiences was essential to our growth. He gave us a savior. Right. I think it's important to emphasize what you just said right there, that God knew that we wouldn't just sin as a byproduct of being fallen. It was that we needed to to fail and we needed to have these mistakes yeah. that it was part of the plan that we had these mistakes, not just kind of a consequence and, of the plan. And that's, that's a, that's embedded in our doctrine. Mm-hmm. Like we, of all Christian faiths, we revere Eve, you know, almost every Christian sect in the entire world looks at Eve as the giant screw up. She's the one who ruined it for everybody. She fell for the, she fell for the, the cunning, 
trick of the serpent. She was beguiled and she screwed up and, and ruined existence for all of us. And now we all have to suffer because of her. But in our church, we believe that Eve is celebrated. Mm-hmm. You know, she made an intentional choice. She realized that God had given her two conflicting instructions, you know, the, that God asked her to multiply and replenish the earth and also asked her not to partake of the fruit of the tree, tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that if she kept one of those commandments, she could, she couldn't, she could keep both of the commandments. She just couldn't keep both at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that she intentionally, she knew that it was part of her, of God's plan for her to grow, that she had to choose, make a difficult decision. Mm-hmm. And she had to choose to transfer. Yeah. And that's how our existence began was with a hard decision. I'll bet she wrestled for a long time with that, whether or not she was ready, whether or not she was prepared for the consequences, whether or not, you know, she was ready to be cast out of God's presence. I don't think she was ignorant to the consequences of her actions. I think she knew full well. And taking that knowledge of what we believe into our lives, like that's, if that's how our our lives began, like that's, it's, I think it's a lesson that that's one of the foundational principles in our life is that we are, we're going to screw up. We got to make hard decisions. And, um, and it's expected of us to do that. Not, it's not, it's not a sad consequence. It's like God didn't send Christ because, oh, well, I know they're too weak and they'll screw up. He sent Christ because man, this is how they're going to learn. And they just, they're going to need a savior. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, I mean, the foundation of my testimony of the atonement is it's changed the way I look at screwing up. Right. In the past, I was terrified to screw up because I would be one of one more blood, drop of blood was going to be on my hands that the Savior shed. And every bad mistake I made was causing the Savior more suffering. And every mistake I made was letting the people around me down because if I didn't, if I didn't make the ratio of positive to negative decisions right, then I would be not in the celestial kingdom and no one would be more heartbroken than my family to make it to heaven without me. It would be a sad, sad heaven and it would be my fault for making too many mistakes. And my mentality has shifted from that to I embrace my mistakes now. And when I make a mistake, I celebrate them and I learn from them and I thank God for the opportunity that I have to change from them. And I say, wow, thank you. know, this is great. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that I have, that I believe in a savior who suffered so that I can learn from this mistake and grow and become a better person because of it. Right. I feel like this is a a new perspective on the atonement that you've given me. Yeah. That I've gotten from learning from your experience and how similar the guilt and the shame that I had with the different perspective that you had before you experienced your, your time away from the church. And one thing I love that we talked about at church on Sunday was the fact that we believe in a gospel of eternal progression. We believe that to be glorified and to be in the celestial kingdom means that we will be progressing for eternity. And the very definition of damnation is just a halt in our progress. And anything that halts our progress can be considered sin. Yep. That, and when we um, repent of those sins, our progress resumes yeah. and we're able to learn and grow. And the purpose of the atonement and the purpose of the Savior is to help us get unstuck from those halts of progress. Yeah, exactly. To free us from the bondage of our own sins. 
And I, I do, I do, um, feel like learning from your experience and seeing what it's been like for you to come back has helped me with find that own perspective in my life. What is it like? Tell me more about that. What, what has changed for you in hearing my story and being so close to it? Um, I would consider myself or I would consider myself prior a radical perfectionist. I, I was, I felt like my worth directly correlated with my performance that the love that God had for me was conditional to whether or not I was performing well. And so I could never live up to that ideal. And I constantly felt like I wasn't good enough, constantly felt like there was no way I was going to going to live up to that. I'm starting to realize that that narrative that you and I both had is probably a very popular narrative in our church. Absolutely. And it's very sad to me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, that's not the way that Christ intended it. No. And a lot of the way that we talk about sin, we talk about it as this horrible thing. When, like I said before, it's simply a halt in our progress. Mm. That's all it is. How do you think... um how do you think being a part of, of my story? Cause we kind of met right when I was coming back mm-hmm. to the church, you came home from your mission as I was right when you were being called to be elders quorum president, right? Which was just a few months after I became active in the church again. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, how do you think being a part of, of my story and knowing what I've been through because so, okay, maybe here's some context. So I stumbled across a letter that you wrote me, Yes. The other day. And I wish I could find it. It's around here somewhere, but our house is a mess because we just moved. And, um, but it was a letter you wrote me as a teenager to your future husband. Mm -hmm. And you said a lot of things in there about what you hoped for our marriage and what you hoped I was doing, um, to prepare for marriage and that I was being like faithful and, and saving myself and all these other things. And then you ended up marrying somebody who didn't remain faithful who their whole life. looked very different than the person that I painted in right. that letter. Probably since you were a, 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 like a beehive, 12 year old mm-hmm. girl, you probably envisioned this like stripling warrior of a husband who never had any doubts and who, uh, you know, like fit Can this. Can I be honest? Yeah. I would love to hear <laughs> what you, what you dreamed and then what you really experienced. All growing up. I imagined marrying someone who was <laughs> just, <it> like, <laughs> just like your, your typical, your typical return missionary. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm still going. The list <laughs> goes on. I mean, we had so many young women's lessons where we talked about, we pictured our ideal husband and on that list was someone who was very strong in their testimony who let's see, let me, let me think about this. I imagined I'd be with someone who would one day be a general authority. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was waiting for. (laughs) Like I even Uh, remember being on my mission and like just picturing my husband and 
that I was going to be like the mission president's wife and my husband was going to be a mission president. And then I would picture him speaking at general conference and everyone around me would look and be like, Oh, Angeline's husband is so faithful and so Christ-like and so amazing. And And then you got me. (laughs) (laughs) So why me? Why did you choose me? You know, because you chose me. I did choose you. And I never felt more peace about any decision in my life than the choice I made to marry So you. why choose somebody who had a shaky testimony that was just coming back from years away from the church and still to this day doesn't like I, I struggle with stuff. So I feel like God, Heavenly Father, had been specifically preparing me for you. And especially after coming home from my mission. Before my mission, I I dated um, sparingly, I guess. I'd only had a few boyfriends before my mission, and I ended up... I, I left on my mission after I had graduated from college. So I was older when I left on my mission. I already had my degree. I was already a registered nurse. Um, and so to say that I, had, I hadn't dated much, that kind of gives a little bit of context. I'd had a few boyfriends and I dated the same type of person, the very Mormon, excuse me, the very member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, (laughs) (laughs) um, the very, you know, just very faithful, didn't shake, had no, had no doubts in their testimony was very strong. And when I came home for my mission, those were the same people that I started dating again. And eventually I started realizing that something wasn't quite working out and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't figure out why these, these guys were amazing. They were awesome. They were strong in the, in the gospel. Why wasn't something quite fitting? And then I started, um, I, I dated a guy who was a fantastic guy and turned out to to have some struggles that he admitted to me. And my first instinct was, well, this, this isn't going to work out then. And I remember talking to the bishop about it, which is the same bishop. We love you, Bishop Atkinson. We do love you. <laughs> and he just opened my eyes a little bit like about the atonement. Like we believe in forgiveness, we believe in the atonement, and why are we so quick to throw people to the curb, you know, when they when they have struggles or when they have temptations or when they don't quite measure up to the ideal? And I was reading in the scriptures, I was just praying and contemplating about whether or not to continue the relationship. And I was reading in Jacob five about the olive trees. Mm-hmm. And sorry, it struck me how dedicated the Lord of the vineyard was to his trees and how much he worked on them and he labored over them. And he, he constantly was saying, it's not too late. 
it's not too late for these trees. And I just remember feeling like the point that someone is on their journey does not define who they are. And whether or not they have some rough edges or some thorns or some weeds, that doesn't determine the fruit that they could bear later. And that totally changed my perspective on the way I looked at humans in general and the way I looked at this person that I was dating. And I just felt like my eyes were open to the goodness of his soul, you know, and how much God loved him and that he was not defined by the things that he'd done. He was not defined by the temptations he had. And God was still working on him, just like he's working on every single one of us. He's still, he's still digging about our roots and he's still chopping off our branches, chopping off and our grafting. branches and he's, he's taken off the bad parts and he's smearing poop on us. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I felt so much peace and that's when my whole outlook changed. The relationship didn't end up working out. Not for any of those reasons, but it totally changed my outlook on dating. And here you come along, and you did not fit the future, who knows, like in my mind, the future general authority checklist. I can get on board with that. That's fine. (laughs) It doesn't offend me. And you had some, some different views. And honestly, though, I'm so, so grateful for the, that my outlook changed because I feel like I have learned so much more about Christ and so much more about his doctrine and his principles by being stripped of all of that superficial stuff, all of that cultural, traditional BS, frankly, that... We, we constantly talk about forgiveness and repentance and all these things, but do we really, do we really allow our neighbors and our loved ones that the chance to change chance to change? Do we just say, Oh, well the atonement applies to everybody else, but not to them. Right. Or, or especially like allow them time to change on their own timetable. Right. And not ours. Right. And that everyone's journey is going to look different. And every single person has their beliefs based on the experiences that they've had. And everyone has a different relationship with God based on the point that they're at in their journey. And we're all at a different point. Yep. And that's, that, that brings a full circle. Like that's what I wanted to talk about today Mm -hmm. is after the Homer's podcast, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest. Like I was hurt on, mm-hmm. uh, kind of on their behalf. I just, especially for Nick, mm-hmm. because I know what it's like to be in his shoes and I love the kid. He's a great guy. And I felt like, um, there were a select few people who were judging him for being in the vineyard and not having the type of fruit that they wanted to see without, without one knowing who he is and having a full, like they got, you know, a a 35, 40 minute conversation, look into their life. They have no idea that the full 
you know, his character and, and who he, who he is and what he's gone through. And then on top of that, they have no idea what's in his future mm-hmm. and to condemn somebody or judge somebody for where they're at in their journey while they're wrestling and trying to find answers for themselves, I think is just the least Christ-like thing. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's sad to me. So I, I don't know. I kind of want that. I mean, that's what I wanted this podcast to be about is just sharing my journey and our journey together and what my journey has meant for you and what it's meant for me and vice versa. And and then just also being honest with our listeners that like, we don't have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we're, we're going to share conversations on this podcast that might make you feel uncomfortable. We're going to share stories on this podcast that may not fit into your worldview We're also going to share some really inspiring stories on this podcast that might make you just feel so connected to the Lord. And regardless of the story that we share, we just want you to know that what we're trying to do is, um, is show people what's possible given their circumstances. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got a lot of really interesting interviews coming up and a lot of really interesting people and not all of them fit into the perfect LDS story. Um, you know, a lot of them are, are going through and have gone through real struggles. And I would hope that the people are, that our audience, actually, I'm really confident that our audience has the emotional and spiritual maturity to love and accept people for where they're at on their journey, regardless of whether it's where they think they should be. Mm-hmm. So and that's what the gospel is all about, really. And I, more than anything, am grateful to have had my eyes opened to all the different possibilities of what you would lump under Latter-day Saint. There are so many different brands, so many different genres of human being that fit under the Latter-day Saint, you know, category. And we can learn something from every single one of them. Yeah. And we can all help each other and inspire each other by showing that Christ-like love, compassion, and empathy. And get behind people's backs and say, you can do it instead of, ooh, what are you doing here? You don't belong. Right. I love you. I love you too. Um, yeah, I mean, yep. I guess we can close the episode now. Do you have anything else you want to say? No. Do you have any questions you want to ask? Um, I'm grateful that you brought this up. I think it's important. I think it's important for people to hear and for people to have context. Cool. Uh... Thanks for listening, guys, for, to this a little out-of-the-ordinary episode. Um, we'll be back soon with another interview, probably not just a conversation between me and Ange. But if you liked this format, we always like talking to each other. And if you like listening to our conversations, we'll do more of these. So let us know. All right. Thanks for sticking with us, and thanks for listening. And again, let us know your comments. Let us know what you think. And remember that at the end of the day, we love you and that's why we're doing this is because more than anything more than anything on this planet what we want is for you to have an awesome marriage and we're hoping that showing you the reality that not everybody's marriage is perfect will give you a little bit of hope and inspiration to continue forward and to continue making a daily effort and to create the type of marriage that you want and that works best for you and that that makes you feel close to god exactly we love you (laughs) 